All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Can we, could right there in your homes, can, can we say thank you uh, to our band leaders and all of our crew that are here? There's not many. There's less than 10, I promise you. Uh, we got people on the camera. We got sound. We got some folks upstairs who are getting things to you through the miracle of technology. And boy, don't, don't take for granted. Uh, there's so many people I know that are working hard in the world, but in your church, uh, there are a lot. They get very little credit. Uh, sometimes you don't see them, but they're working faithfully. And I just want to say thank you to all of you who behind the scenes, uh, even though the church has left the building, uh, you are doing the work of the church. So it's Palm Sunday weekend, and I want to begin by asking you a couple of questions. And here is the first one. Uh, if you only had one week to live, oh, what sort of message, what would you want to say to the world? Okay, now think about that. If you only had one week to live and you had an audience of speaking to the world, what would you want to say? Now, I will tell you, you do have an audience to the world right now because I want to welcome some folks that are worshiping with us from all over the United States and, yes, and even the world. So right there where you're captured, uh, right there, whatever stream service you're streaming on, I want to encourage you to kind of put in there your little tweet, uh, your little message, one week to live. This is what I would want to say to the world. It can be light, it can be heavy, encouraging, whatever it would be. So just post that. Post that, and let's share all of those if you like. Now, here's another question. If you knew you only had one week to live, uh, what would you want to say to your family and your dearest friends? Now, I'm going to suggest right now that you don't post that. Uh, you don't put that on social media or any of the streaming services right now where you are joining us in worship. I would encourage you, maybe after a while, before the day is over, that you text your family member. Uh, maybe you FaceTime them on your telephone. You do that. Now, he here's a little help, a little tidbit. Don't set it up like this. Hey, listen, I was just calling to tell you just in case I had one week to live. I want to tell you some stuff. Man, in this environment, don't call telling them that, okay? I encourage you not to do that. But what about you call someone today uh, that's very close to you, you've not spoken to, not seen them, and maybe cast a little vision for their life about a dream vacation or a family vacation that you're all going to go out on when this whole thing is kind of beginning to change a little bit. Or maybe a favorite restaurant that right now you're driving through that you're going to assemble as a family, kind of paint a picture, man, I can't wait till we get to do this. Maybe it's a sporting event, whatever it may be. Or maybe uh, just to be on the safe side, you want to text them or FaceTime and tell them where you stash the extra toilet paper just in case, okay? But regardless... Uh, I mean, this in all seriousness. Uh, we are so isolated and separated. Uh, we need to take extra time in saying things to people. Uh, maybe there's something that's left unsaid that you really need to say. Uh, maybe there's a personal thing that's not been resolved, and you need to make it right with a family member. Uh, maybe you need to say, I love you, because you've not told them in a long time. Maybe you need to accept someone's apology and give them forgiveness. But I would just encourage you to ask you, okay, to the world, if you had one thing to say, what would it be to the world? And if you had one last week, what would you want to make sure you got cleared up with your family? This is Palm Sunday. This is Jesus uh, last week on earth. That's what we're remembering. Uh, for 2,000 years, Christians have assembled and called this week the most sacred and holy week of the year. Now, I know many of us, all of us, I guess, really, 
uh, we're still trying to navigate these uncharted waters of this COVID-19 virus. And I know many of you, uh, you're still all stressed out about so many things. Uh, you're stressed out about the economy. You're stressed out about your health, your grandparents, your parents, somebody. You're all worried about the loss of jobs or how you're going to get there. Some of you are just weary of being isolated and separated from people. I mean, some of you are just, just a toll of being the teacher, being the coach, being the principal, and the parent all in one. <laughs> it's kind of wearing you down a little bit. I get that. But please hear this. Uh, th this pandemic... It has robbed and already stolen so much from us. Uh, from some of us, it, it has stolen our ability to gather publicly in worship in a large gathering like we love to do around here and to hug each other and to brace each other and to kind of just kind of have intimate fellowship with one another. It has robbed the ability of our students to go to their schools and do their education with among their peers. And in the setting, we've robbed baseball seasons. Uh, softball seasons have been gone. Uh, the opening day of the Rangers, gone, wiped out. The Masters, gone. We could name so many things. Uh, many of you, your 401K, uh, it's been robbed. And some of you have even lost your jobs. So let's make an agreement here. Uh, the, this pandemic has robbed already enough from us. Let's agree we're not going to let it rob Holy Week. Do not let this little bitty invisible virus come into our lives and take away the most sacred week of the year for the Christian. So we're going to reclaim it this morning and see what God will teach us and help us apply even the season that we are in. Oh, we're going to put something here on your screens, on your television, you're going to see. It goes like this. Uh, preparation shapes celebration. In fact, I'll have you say that with me in your home right now. Some of you want to write it down. Preparation shapes celebration. Preparation shapes celebration. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to do some teaching times here. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to find them. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark most of the time here. Uh, we're going to kind of walk through uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and this, uh, and this Sunday. Uh, Holy Week is bookend with Palm Sunday and Easter. And we're going to kind of walk through and kind of highlight. We can't cover it all. We're going to kind of highlight what Jesus experienced of uh, what he taught in the last week of his life. And here's my promise to you, that if you will do the hard work of preparation and walking through each of these experiences we're going to talk about every day this week, you will be more prepared to shape a celebration for your family uh, that will be incredible. That you may not be able to have the family gathering Easter egg hunt, but this virus cannot steal Easter away from you or from any of us. And so that is my ask. So if you have your Bibles right there, uh, open them up. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. Did you know the Gospel of Mark, almost half of it is only about the last week of Jesus' life? That's a pretty interesting tidbit. So we're going to kind of walk through it. We can't cover it all. We are going to hit the highlights, okay? So you see right there, we're going to put it up here on the screen for you to see. The first one here is Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday, and that is about the triumphal entry. Uh, this can be found in Mark chapter 11. So Jesus... He leaves this area called Galilee, and he makes his way to a little suburb uh, just outside of Jerusalem. It is called Bethany. Bethany is about a 30-minute walk into Jerusalem. And it's obvious that he would stay there in Bethany. He's going there for the Passover, for, for Holy Week. And he is going to stay with Mary 
and Martha and Lazarus and their home, best friends and many of his extended family uh, who lives there. So he wakes up on Palm Sunday morning, and he kind of makes his way from the east to the west, goes through the Mount of Olives. He's traveling, and he's traveling through these huge crowds. And there are huge crowds, it's like this massive tailgate party all just outside of, of Jerusalem. I mean, just massive amounts of people. They're eating, they're singing, they're celebrating, and they see Jesus come walking through. They have come there to celebrate the Passover, and they recognize Jesus. Uh, they have heard of his reputation. Some saw him in walking around the Sea of Galilee. They heard him uh, of what he had done. He performed miracles. And they're just cheering, 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 cheering. And they're waving palm branches. In fact, right here in the scripture it says, it says he, they said such stuff like this, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I want you to picture the opening season of baseball. In fact, no, I want you to picture the Rangers winning the World Series. I mean, you have to picture it because you've never seen it, right? But on steroids, the energy and excitement would be incredible. They're just cheering and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus is coming, yay! And they're waving palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And palms were very part of the nationalistic tradition of Israel, and he's going into Jerusalem. Now, Jesus is doing something uh, intentional. He is sending a message, and if you were a Roman citizen, you would know exactly what he was communicating. In the Roman time period, when a major city was going out to fight a battle, the head general would get on his gigantic war horse, he would go out the gate, and all of his officers and the next in rank in his legions would follow him out to battle. They'd be gone for months. After they had been gone and they were victorious, they would send back a messenger, hey, we're coming back to town. And all the family would kind of get out there, the whole crowd, the whole city, they would assemble, and they would come back in. And this is how they would come back in. First, the general on his gigantic war horse, the general would have this lay of flowers around him. His horse would have flowers around him. And there were all these flowers laid out on the road. And he would come marching in all proud and pageantry. And behind him, his officers. Behind him, all these legions of armies. Behind them would be these big old wagons carrying all the plunder from their victory. And then the slaves that were in chains. And they would come in all big and celebrate, cheering, yeah, hell, victors, hell, victors, hell, victors. And the crowd was there to see if their loved one, uh, their husband, uh, their father, their brother, uh, their friend had returned back from the war and they'd just be cheering. That's what you call a Roman triumphal entry. Now Jesus, he comes into Jerusalem, which is his city, the scripture says, and he comes in triumph, but he does something unexpected. We see right here that instead of coming in on a horse, uh, Mark calls it a colt, but really he comes in on a donkey. So Jesus comes in on this little donkey. The crowds are cheering, waving their palm branches, big deal. Oh, just Jesus, Jesus, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in triumph, coming in triumph. And it says there he, he rides in, and after they shout, he goes to Jerusalem. He goes to the temple courts. He looks around the temple. It was late. He quietly leaves. Now, 
each lesson, each week, each day, I want to give you just a little bit of a, a life application. And here's the life application uh, for this point. That the highest form of leadership begins with humble service if you're a Christian. That the highest form of leadership is servanthood. Uh, Jesus didn't come in on this big horse leader, adulation and praise. He came in on a donkey, a sign of humility. Uh, parents, I want you to hear this. Uh, if you own a business, I want you to hear this. If you're a boss over a team, I want you to hear this. Uh, right now, uh, your family, uh, your team, uh, your company, they need leadership. And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you understand that a true leader who's a follower of Jesus, it's not about position, it's not about power, it's not about your authority, it's not about prowess. It's not leveraging any of those things. That you come into your midst of the people who trust you, and they think you care for them, you love them with a humble confidence. And you walk in their midst with the confidence that we got this, we're going to get through this, and you do it with humility that you're suffering, that you're one of them. And that's what Jesus came to show, that God became one of us and experienced life just like us. Oh, so important in this season. We need leaders who are humble who would even ride in on a donkey and yet have a confidence that we can do this. That's Monday, Palm Sunday. The next day is Tuesday. We're going to call that confrontation. Monday is confrontation in Mark chapter 11. Uh, Jesus wakes up on Monday morning. He's in the home of Mary and Martha, I suspect. Uh, before he heads out the door, he goes to his chair, his favorite chair in their house, he gets the scriptures, has a cup of coffee, right? Has a little quiet time with God, right? I'm expecting he's doing that because we live our life after him. And then he goes out the door, and he heads back into Jerusalem. Now, on this journey, Jesus does something on money that's a little eccentric. Either he's having a bad day. Did you know that Jesus could have a bad day just like some of you can have a bad day? Either he was having a bad day or he was acting like an Old Testament prophet. I think he was acting like an Old Testament prophet because we read right here in Mark chapter 11 on this Monday that he leaves Bethany, he goes to the town, he sees this fig tree, and he curses it. I mean, he just curses the tree. It's what we see right here. I mean, he just laid it out there. May no one ever eat fruit from you again, he says. Now, fig trees, let's talk about them. Uh, fig trees uh, bloom early uh, in the spring over in Jerusalem, over in the Middle East. Uh, when they first start to broom, the fruit comes out. It's very hard. It's a solid rock. You bite on it, it will kind of like hurt your teeth. And over time, though, over time, it begins to turn brown. And by the time you get to September, October, you pull it. it it's delicious. But here's what happens in the Scripture. Jesus comes up to the tree. From a distance, it looks like it has something to nourish him, to feed him. But up closer, he realized there's nothing there for him to eat. And what he is doing is, he again, he is sending a prophetic message to Jerusalem, particularly into the temple. So here's what he does. He goes into Jerusalem. He sees the temple. From a distance, this big, beautiful, majestic temple for 60 or 7 years that Herod had been reconstructing, 
It looked like it had something to nourish you until you get in the inside. And when Jesus walked into the temple, he learned it had been turned into an economic enterprise. Uh, there were tables everywhere. Uh, there were animals everywhere. Read the text. Animals everywhere. In fact, it was also tax time. Besides Passover time, it was tax time. So all the Galileans had showed up to pay their taxes. But from the Sea of Galilee, their coinage was not perfectly silver or pure gold. And so the temple leaders, they would say, listen, uh, you got to exchange your money, your impure stuff, for the pure stuff. Now, let me tell you, any of you have ever traveled internationally, when you're exchanging money for another currency, who wins in the exchange? Every time it's the one doing the exchange, the exchanger, not the exchangee. They're making money of them. So Jesus walks in the temple. He sees this going on. He says, what is happening here? And you read the text there in Matthew, Mark 11. He gets furious. He turns over the tables. He shoes out the animals. And then right over here, I have my glasses here somewhere. There we go. <laughs> They're in my pocket. If you can't see, you're going to have a hard time reading. He says, verse uh, 17, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, Jesus would also see something else. You don't see it in the scriptures here, but I have seen signs of it myself when I've been to Jerusalem. In the temple, there was this wall. It was called the dividing wall, and it said, Gentiles cannot go beyond this point if you do you will die. But Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. So on Monday, Jesus is again being an Old Testament prophet. Here's what he's saying. He's saying whenever the church exists to serve itself, whenever it's only about its income, its purpose, its money, its assets, it ceases to be the church. And he is saying Whenever the church excludes someone because of their nationality, because of the color of their skin, uh, because of the way they speak, or whether they believe or they don't believe, the church ceases biblically to be the church. So here is our application for Monday. Monday for Confrontation Day is that I will strive to become more radically inclusive in love. I will strive, I will strive as a follower of Jesus to be more radically inclusive in love. Hey, Pathway Church, it's one of our core uh, values here that we say DNA of who we are, is that we are slowly working, intentionally becoming more loving to everybody. And sometimes people ask, what does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. That means you're welcome here whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God. Uh, maybe you live a long, long way and you don't have a church to come to. Maybe you were turned away because of some little something that happened in the church or something that you did. Or maybe you went to a certain place, you didn't dress right. Or the, maybe the color of your skin, the way you spoke, you didn't feel included. Hey, we're not perfect. We have a lot of issues here. But I will tell you this, we are working to become radically inclusive to love all God's people. Even those who do not believe, believe or, or believe in him yet, you are welcome here. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. Monday is about confrontation. Now we have Tuesday. 
Tuesday is a unique sort of day. Tuesday is called the anointing. That's over in Mark chapter 14. Now, the scriptures kind of conflict with each other. Uh, John says this happened six days uh, before uh, Jesus goes to the cross. Here, Mark says it's two days. We're going to go with Tuesday. Here's what's kind of going on. On Tuesday, Jesus is back in Bethany, and he's just hanging out the house with some of his friends. And his friends have kind of come to the understanding of what is going on, and they've accepted that this is not going to end well. That in all probability, that Jesus is going to, it's going to cost his life. That his commitment to the mission of God for his life is going to have the highest cost, and that he is going to die. And they have come to accept the mission is dangerous. But instead of trying to talk him out of it, they rally around him to encourage him, uh, to support him, and to help him. And there's one named Mary who does something uh, unique. Uh, we see right here in the text right here that, that Mary has a, a jar of very expensive perfume. Uh, the scripture says it's called pure nard. Pure nard. Uh, nard. Uh, was the most expensive perfume that you could get at the time. It smelled kind of like gladiolas. Uh, kind of the irony here is back in the day of Jesus, the cheapest fume, perfume you could get was from France. Isn't that kind of silly? Uh, the cheapest came from France. Uh, the most expensive came from India. And you would harvest it from the foothills of the Himalayas. Uh, you would squeeze it out the oil. You would put it in a jar. You would get it on these Indian, these travel caravans, and it would eventually get to the destination, and it was extremely expensive. Uh, so expensive, most scholars believe that Mary herself could not have afforded it, and that she and her sister and her brother and many of the extended family and friends all went in together uh, to buy this oil, this perfume. And the irony here is, is this very expensive perfume, she breaks it open, and she coats Jesus from head to toe. I mean, he is just covered in this perfume. I mean, it's just radiating. Now, think about this. A couple of days, uh, this is on Tuesday, uh, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to go to the cross. Uh, first, they're going to beat him. Uh, they're going to flog him, and they're going to strip him. Nighting to the cross. Everybody else can smell death from all the crucifixions. But Jesus can still smell the aroma of the nard. And he is comforted through that aroma by the friendship and the support of those in his inner circle who really love him. And when you get down here to the bottom of the text... We learned down here in verse 8, Jesus said, She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Uh, Nord was also a burial ointment. She was getting Jesus ready for what was to come, to prepare him for that when he was completing his mission so he would know that his family and his friends are with him. He can still smell it on the cross. Now, here's our life application. No expense is too much when it comes to blessing Jesus. And here's the second one. The people that we invite into our inner circle matter. And I will tell you right now, in this COVID-19 pandemic, in the midst of it, 
even more so. When you're physically distanced, the people you invite into your circle matter. People who know you, people who love you, people who will pray for you, people who will rally around you and encourage you like they did Jesus, and people who will encourage you to go forward to do what God has asked you to do even when it's dangerous, who understand God's call upon your life when you got to step out and be risky. You need those sort of people in your life. So if you don't, I want to encourage you right now just to kind of say online, you're looking for a friend, you're looking for a small group, you need the connection somewhere uh, because Jesus had it. It gave him encouragement to stay the course. That is Tuesday anointing. Now we go to Wednesday. Wednesday is teaching day and we're going backwards here in the scripture to Mark chapter 12. G uh, Tuesday is teaching day. Now Jesus everywhere he went there were large crowds. I mean, he was a popular teacher. Uh, people couldn't wait to get around him. Uh, they, just, they just hovered around every word, thinking he was going to say something that would totally radically change their life. Now, I want you to picture this. Uh, let's say that we can physically worship here at Pathway Church, and we're all still here and gathering. Uh, maybe you're in the sanctuary, or maybe you're in the ark, or maybe you're out there in the crossing, uh, just out there in, in the common grounds. And all of a sudden, somebody walks in the door. Uh, you picture the person. Uh, maybe it's Beth Moore. Uh, uh, maybe it's a Craig Rochelle. Uh, you name whoever it is. And they walk in. Some famous teacher comes in here that the whole world knows. And they start standing there uh, on the steps of the fountain. And they start speaking. And the word spreads to the church. And everybody goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And everybody exits. And they go, listen to this person. Can you say awkward? I mean, I kind of know what that would feel like right now in this room right here where there's nobody here. That's what it would feel like, right? I go, awkward, that's what's happening here. The temple leaders, they have all these messages and all these things they're trying to teach, but they know that Jesus is popular, and every time he shows up, um, he gets all the attention, and they're kind of ticked about it. They're fed up with it. So they decide to get him. They want to trick him. They, they're trying to test him every time they can to find out if they can catch him doing something wrong. And so we have right here in chapter 12 of Mark, uh, verse uh, 28, uh, they send one of the temple experts to ask him a question. They say, Jesus, of all the commandments, uh, what is the most important? Now, they're trying to trick him. They know there's 613 of them. They've cataloged every single one of them. But Jesus quickly responds back, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, hey, I'm going to paraphrase. He says, hey, love God, all your heart, all your body, all your soul, all your strength. Just love him with everything you have. And he was quoting what's called the Shema. Uh, the Shema is something that every Jewish family would repeat at least twice a day. And so, man, like, yeah, yeah, good, good answer, Jesus. And Jesus could have stopped right there, but he didn't. I mean, he, he adds on. He tacks on. He goes to Leviticus 19, verse 18. He adds this little verse, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he says, a radical statement, all of the laws, all of the sacrifices of the temple are summed up in this little thing. Hey, you can forget everything else and just do this. And you're going, hold it, hold it, hold it, Jesus. Listen, uh, we've got all these laws here. I mean, shouldn't people memorize the whole Bible? Uh, shouldn't they go to all these classes? Shouldn't they get a degree? Uh, this is so serious. Shouldn't they have all these different things memorized and have arduous study and memorizing the whole scriptures? And Jesus says, nope. I'm narrowing it down to this thing. 
And church, I would say this right here would be our life application from this. In your notes, the essence of Christianity is not complicated. Love God, love yourself, and love the person next to you. Let me say it again. The message of Christianity is not complicated. Some of you who are trying to wrestle and to figure all this stuff out in your head, love God, love yourself the way God loves you, and love the person next to you. Uh, God did not send his son into the world for you and me to judge the world. He did not send his son into the world for you and me to separate uh, the wheat from the tares, the weeds and all the way. He didn't. He, our job is to love God, to come to understand how much God loves you, and to love the person next to you. And men, please listen, men. That means loving your wife as your number one neighbor. Wives, loving your husband as your number one neighbor. That's Jesus' last teaching. That's on Wednesday. Now we go to Thursday. We're moving along. Thursday is the Last Supper. be found in Mark chapter 14 and in John chapter 13. On Thursday evening is the culmination of the Jewish Passover. Uh, Jewish families now are going to have to sacrifice an animal. Uh, it would be a, a one-year-old lamb or a one-year-old goat. And what you would do is you would take this little lamb, you would take this little goat, this one-year-old, you would take it to the temple. Uh, you would give it to the Levite who is the priest. They would, excuse me, kids, they would slit the throat of that little lamb. It would bleed all over the place. They would hang it up on a wall. They would strip it of its fleece. Then they would take out the innards, the organs of the lamb or the goat, and they would give those to priests. That was kind of like a tip to the priest that they could have for their own little personal barbecue. And then you would take the carcass on your shoulders, and you would go back to your home, and you would cook this Passover meal. And there'd be four different kinds of wine. There'd be different sorts of readings, different sorts of foods. You kind of go through all this ceremonial thing, and you would have what's called a Passover feast. Now, in the Lord's Supper on this Thursday, Jesus does two very unusual things. He has already arranged a room in Jerusalem for his disciples to have the Passover feast. And he does two things. And the first one is kind of odd, and you find it over in John chapter 13. He walks into the space. And he gets on his knees, and he washes the disciples' feet. Now, it's not unusual uh, for their feet to be washed, because when they sit down for a Passover meal, they just came in from the streets. They have on sandals. They're dirt everywhere. They're, they, they don't sit down. They sit on cushions, and they put their feet up at the table. Uh, not a good thing, right? You need to wash your feet before you eat. And so Jesus, though, the shocking thing is he washes their feet. Unbelievable. Now, the second thing that happens needs a little bit more explanation. So when a family would send their, their, their family member to the uh, temple for the sacrifice for their lamb or goat for their Passover meal, they could only send the father or maybe a son uh, because there were so many people. They had these limitations. It's kind of like now, right? You can't gather in groups larger than 10 or it was so many people there said, oh, you have a representative of your family to come. So they would come. They would sacrifice, then they would bring it back. And here's the question for the family left at home. Since we didn't bring the offering, since we didn't bring the sacrifice, how can we participate? That was the question the family asked. How can I participate in the sin offering where I experience God's grace and God's forgiveness or my offering to God? And so here's what Jesus does. He takes the bread around the table, 
he holds it up and says, this is my body broken for you. And then he takes the cup. He says, this cup is the sign of the new covenant. My blood spilled upon the ground for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he kind of goes on to say, I'm kind of paraphrasing, he says, and whenever you eat of this bread and you drink from this cup, you become partners with me. You become to experience the sacrifice at my altar, which is the cross itself. I become your sacrifice when you eat the bread and you drink the cup with me. Now, this is blowing their minds. Think about it. Passover night, all over the city, all these lambs, all these little baby one-year-old goats have been slain for the Passover meal. And now Jesus says, I am your sacrifice. I am going to the cross. I am going there for you. And whenever you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you become a part and experience what I'm experiencing, even my salvation, even forthcoming my resurrection. It was an incredible, incredible gift. Now, here's the life application. And I think this is critical because I think Jesus is kind of teaching kind of his final words here through the Lord's Supper. This really is his final teaching. And I think he's kind of giving an exam. He's saying the cross is the primary fo- The cross is our altar, and our job is to wash each other's feet. That's what he's saying. The cross is the altar. Wash people's feet. That's the mission. But here's the final exam. Here's our application. If Jesus was going to give us a little test now, He's about to die. Here's what we'd ask. Three questions in your notes. Do you love God with your whole heart? Second, do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? And are you willing to give your life in serving the world, even in washing their feet? Church, let's, let's do a little examination of the world today. Uh, you see what's going on. It's not just you. It's not just your family. <coughs> it's not just where you work. Uh, the whole world. Don't you think the world is ready for a change? People are open. They're afraid. They're not knowing what's going on. That you and me, the church, to show them what it looks like to really love God and what it would mean to love your neighbor like you love yourself. I mean, really love your neighbor And not only that, but to serve the world, we could change the world. One church, one family at a time by just practicing those three things. I just want to encourage you. uh, When your family comes to take communion on Thursday night, and you will, we'll get to that in a second. uh, You kind of let that sink in. What is our role going to be in helping Jesus get the message out of loving others and serving others in this way? Friday is crucifixion. From Mark chapter 14, we also find it over at one verse in Luke 23, 34. Uh, just so you know, I'm going to do this quickly. Uh, most Jews on Thursday night of the Passover, they would stay up all night. They would stay up all night praying. And some would go out and they would give alms to the poor. And Jesus did the same thing. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to pray. It looks like he might be going to pray all night, just like uh, others are going to. But instead, the Roman soldiers show up. Uh, They interrupt his prayer time. Uh, They take him away from the garden. Uh, That is where he is arrested. He is taken to Caiaphas. Uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, he kind of questions him. He's he's been wanting to catch him. Uh, He's been talking about being the son of God. He calls that blasphemy. He said, man, this guy's got to die. This guy's got to die. 
He assembles the Sanhedrin, which is kind of like the elders of the church, the highest governing authority of the church. They all question Jesus. They agree he's got to die. Here's the problem. Uh, Caiaphas has no authority for uh, capital punishment. So he takes them to the Roman governor. Uh, that is Pilate. Uh, Pilate wants no, no part of it. He wants to say nothing to do with him. But they have a long conversation. And finally, Pilate caves. He says, okay, uh, kill the guy. They take him out. They beat him. They take him out. Uh, they flog him. They crucify him. And he dies. Now, I'm going to stop right there uh, about the crucifixion. Uh, you're going to hear more about that this week. But you just need to know that it was ugly. Uh, it was brutal. It was demeaning. And really, it was about public propaganda that they would hang you in public out on the cross. And what they were saying to the Roman government was that if you uh, follow this guy, this is what's going to happen to you. But we'll learn more about this uh, this coming Friday evening. Here's the life application I would like for you to get. And that is love your enemies. Uh, that is forgiveness is a noun, not a verb. And here's why I want to say this is the life application. Forgiveness is a noun, not a verb. On the cross, Jesus makes seven statements. It's called the seven last words of Christ. And there's one particular verb, word that he says that kind of grabs at me. It's from Luke 23. He says, Father, forgive. He's on the cross being crucified. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Think about it. Father, forget. He, he had been teaching. Uh, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who have persecuted you. Forgive them. Love them. And now Jesus practices on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Please listen. Forgiveness is not a noun. It's not something you say. It's something that you do. And Jesus modeled for us what forgiveness looks like by enduring the cross. And then we got Saturday. Saturday is Holy Saturday. Saturday is death. Mark 16, 42. Mark 15, 42 to 47. Uh, before sundown. Here's what happens on Friday before sundown. Uh, the women go to take Jesus' body. And the women are responsible for burial back in that day. They find a tomb from this wealthy guy named Joseph. They go and they lay him on this bench in the tomb. And they would normally wrap him up in a shroud, put burial spices in it. So the body, when it decomposed, it didn't have this awful odor, you know. But, but the time was running out. It was almost Sabbath time. So they left him there, agreed they would come back on, on Sunday morning. And so they leave. And so for the most part, the tomb is quiet. Uh, the disciples are huddled up in this empty room. They're mourning. I mean, there's mourning to death. Uh, but Jesus is not inactive. Uh, we know from Scripture that Jesus goes into the place called Sheol. That is the place of the dead. And he goes into, they call it the bosom of Abraham. Some call it that. Some call it the place of shadows. And there he has fellowship with Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Elijah, uh, Ezekiel, David, all the great prophets who have come before, who have been waiting for Jesus to come, for the Messiah to come. And he awakens them. But the disciples that's where the focus is. They are mourning. And here's what I want to say about this coming Saturday. Uh, this coming Saturday has to be different for us. After the crucifixion on Friday, Saturday is not business as usual. It's not going to play golf, separating right. Uh, it's not just binging on Netflix. It's not watching the regular movies and the regular music and stuff that you normally do. The Jewish people did something on Saturday called Shiva. When someone died, they would sit for seven days. The word Shiva means seven. 
They would sit for seven days in quiet in the home of someone who had died. They still have that practice. It's called Shiva. I want to encourage you this coming Saturday. Uh, don't let COVID virus rob you of understanding the moment and sit in Shiva, uh, maybe for seven hours, Whew, seven minutes, maybe 70 minutes, pick it in quiet and kind of mourning the death of Jesus. And here's our life application. Uh, mourning and grief are a healthy means to process any form of loss. See, some of us, we experience loss and we just push through it. You got to stop and allow yourself to grieve and to mourn. And if you're not a part of a church and you need to be part of a life share, you text us. We'll help you find a place where you can go and be a part of grief share and experience the healing and health that comes from that. Really quickly here, uh, Easter Sunday is resurrection. Uh, we find this, the great story of that over in John chapter 20, uh, Sunday morning, the women go up, they go back to the tomb. Uh, their whole goal is to kind of finish the job they started. They thought they were going to have to move the stone, but to their surprise, the stone had already been moved. And they were just, ah, what happened here? They, but they were so excited, and they go in, and his body's not there, and they're kind of startled, and, and an angel shows up and tells them what happened. And some of the women, they run to tell the disciples, hey, hey, he's risen, he's alive, he is alive. But Mary, John says she stays. She's trying to figure things out, and Jesus comes to her, and she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener, and Jesus says, Mary. All he does is speak her name, Mary, and she goes, my Lord. She tries to hug him. I mean, I mean just like many of you right now, you just want to hug, you just want to hug your family, hug your friends, hug your, I mean, I just can't wait to hug Lennox again. My dad's out of the hospital, but I can't go hug him. I just want to hug him, and Jesus said, Mary, you can't hug me. I'm not yet ascended to the Father. I'm not the same. My body's not the same as you. I'm ascending to the Father. But go and tell everybody great things are happening. Mary is aware that death did not defeat Jesus, that death cannot defeat us. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And then he is risen from the dead. And here's our life application. is that death, my sin and my death in Jesus have been defeated. My death, church, that is good news. My sin and my death have been defeated. I have victory in that way through Jesus. So I want to stop right there. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want to kind of take you through something here. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to reclaim Holy Week. And the first thing you need to do, if you've not done it yet, come up here to the church between today and two, between uh, tomorrow and two, uh, I think it's three, might be three, and get one of these signs. You're going to put it in your yard, and there's a bunch of pinwheels right here. I think we have a picture on the screen here. You're going to put one in your yard, put them in your neighbor's yard that'll let them know all who your friends are about worshiping with us and how they can do that. This, you want to do that. That's the first thing I want you to do. Second thing I want you to do, I want you on Thursday at 7 o'clock to join us live stream. And we're going to lead your family in your home through a communion experience. I know you're going, what? Yep. And you can use the ingredients of your home. Uh, what do you have in the house? Uh, we'll kind of remind you. You can use crackers. You can use uh, tortillas. You can use Cheez-Its. Uh, you can use goldfish. Whatever you want. It's okay. It's all right. Whatever sort of water juice. It doesn't have to be grape. Uh, you can be Kool-Aid. It can be cherry. It can be strawberry. It can be water. It can be milk. You name it. And we're going to guide you about 15 minutes through a communion experience in your home. Then on Friday uh, at 7 o'clock, we are going to have a Good Friday service, and you're going to want to be a part of it. Uh, and make sure you share with your friends and other families from all around the world to be a part of this, to kind of really experience what happened with Jesus on the cross. And then come Saturday, I'm going to ask you 
to not let that be life as usual. Uh, don't just do what you normally do on Saturday, but set some time aside to really mourn and understand the death of Jesus and what took place. And then on Sunday, uh, make sure you've invited your friends, you, you've shared uh, the way they can access worship. You want, to be get, you want to get dressed from bottom up, from, the, from mid up. You want to do that? You can. You want to go in your pajamas? You can do that. Photos, whatever. We're going to have a great time. We've got a special thing planned for you next Easter. You don't want to miss it. Uh, don't let COVID-19 rob your family of a joy-filled Easter experience. But there's one more thing I want you to do, and this is it. Uh, I'm going to ask you this week, to have extended time uh, in your chair. As Chris mentioned earlier, we have created some devotions for you. You can find them on our website on the Pathway page. And I'm going to ask you Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to read each of the scriptures that we just talked about and to get in touch with them. In more than 15 minutes, Maybe it's 30. Maybe it's 45. Maybe it's an hour. You know, we have a little more time on our hands. No, no sports games. No places to go to huddle up with our friends. <laughs> we have an opportunity to experience Holy Week and Easter like never before. So I'm going to ask you to read the devotion every morning written by one of your staff members who love you. They pray for you regularly. Open the scriptures and just sit here as long as you can. Now I'm sitting right here in a chair that's in my mom and dad's house. I went and got it on Friday before they came home from the hospital. And this is a rocking chair and I'm going to sit in this chair this week for extended periods of time. Uh, this chair was my grandmother's, her rocking chair. Uh, my grandmother went through the depression. Uh, my grandma died way too young. Ironically, from her lungs, the little air sacs in her lungs, almost like the COVID-19 kind of filling up until she couldn't breathe anymore. My grandma used to sit in this chair, hold me in her lap, and she'd read the Bible. Parents, what an opportunity this week. Kids aren't in school. They're in your home in school. Have them come sit in your lap. Talk about Sunday. Talk about Monday. Talk about Tuesday. Talk about Wednesday. Talk about Thursday. Have communion. Leave your family in communion. Sit down Friday night. Do not let COVID-19 rob you of the opportunity to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. So I'm asking for a commitment right there in your home. And don't think I can't see you. God can for sure. I want you to raise your hand if you'll make a commitment to spend extra time in your chair with God just being in his book, reading these devotions. Preparation shapes celebration. Preparation 
shapes celebration. Say it with me. Preparation shapes celebration. Let's pray together. God, our world uh, has been greatly interrupted. I mean, nothing's the same. Everything's different. Uh, we're in uncharted waters like we've never seen before in our generations that are living on this earth right now. And God, how appropriate <laughs> that in this time when we're sequestered away in our homes, sense of isolated from the world, that like the early church, God, like the disciples ran into their homes, that we can be in our homes and you can come to us that you will come to us and that in our homes God we can worship you we can praise you we can celebrate what you have God have done in our families God and that in Jesus we have hope that death has been conquered that our sin has been wiped clean by the blood of the lamb and the lamb is Jesus this week we're going to go a little deeper a little deeper in that understanding and God next Sunday morning when that sun comes up we're going to declare with joy and energy and authority in our homes that Jesus is the resurrected Christ and because of him Fear is a liar because he has overcome our sin and he has overcome our death. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, I'm going to be praying for you this week. Be praying for me. We'll see you online Thursday night, Friday night, and Sunday morning.